I decide to read you a joke so that you will stay up. I can see the sleep on your eyes already. If you sleep, don't worry about it. God loves, God gives sleep to those whom he loves. So, Anyway, here we are. This is a Valentine's Day joke, since Valentine's Day is coming up. After she woke up, a woman told her husband, I just dreamed that you gave me a pearl necklace for Valentine's Day. What do you think it means? You'll know tonight, he said. That evening, the man came home with a small package and gave it to his wife. Delighted, she opened it to find a book titled, The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> anyway, all right. <laughs> Let's open uh, John 13. My message is short today, this evening. Praise God. <laughs> uh, a passage that you all know so well. Let me read it fast. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this is the expression of his ultimate love. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash, your, wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. One of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So that is a key verse right now. Uh, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you knew these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. <clears throat> I want to tell you a little bit of my story. Uh, I grew up in a typical Asian family, uh, just high-pressure, very achievement-oriented family. Uh, my mother was a little bit on the extreme side, uh, but that is the family I grew up in. And uh, up to college, academic achievement was what defined me. I was not good at anything else. You know, my brother was very gifted in art. You know, when he was in elementary school, he was, his painting was chosen to receive like this in Korea. 
Minister of the Education Award. I mean, going to this big ceremony and, you know, he received this thing. Um, my sister was a very, very talented musician, and I was a third, and my younger brother came about eight years later, so, you know, he was not there. But when I looked at myself, I didn't, I was not good at anything. I was not good at sports, I was not good at music, I was not good at anything, and, uh, but I was okay in math and science. So that's what I did, went to college. Um, uh, so throughout college, uh, academic achievement was what defined my identity, self-esteem, and so forth. Even at seminary, I was all hung up, up about academic success. And then I went into ministry. Okay, I wanted to do PhD, and God said no. How did God say no? I didn't make it. <laughs> Three times I tried, I didn't make it. And by the time it was a third time, uh, I really felt God say no, and I got really depressed. Okay? And I, I am very thankful that God said no to that because, you know, I mean, not many people can do PhD and ministry together. Okay? And uh, I'm definitely not cut out to do both. And, uh, you know, I, I would have just spent so much of my energy getting the degree, uh, but that's what happened. <clears throat> but shifting to ministry, you know, your ego doesn't change all that, all that quickly. So, so this is the key, right? People change, otherwise we would not be ministers. We, we are in ministry because we believe people do change through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel. But people do not change very easily. And uh, when I went to ministry, my ego didn't change. Just the field shifted. So before it was academic success. Now it was ministry success. And what was ministry success? It was defined by numbers. How big was the church? And all the numbers. How many people got baptized? How many people went to mission trips? And all those numbers, which are important. Okay? But it has to be important in the right way. But for me, it was all tied up with my self-esteem. And um, I was sharing my story a little bit uh, that when we planted the church, you know, I told you in the morning how my senior pastor, Reverend Kim, uh, just blessed our congregation and said, you go plant a church. And we had this incredible beginning. We started with a church. So I did not have to go through like the, all the groundwork of starting with a handful of core people and building them up and all that. We started 50 people, which is a good-sized church already, which is an average-sized church in America. And uh, we grew to about 90 first year, so I was pretty happy. Well, that's pretty good growth. Uh, we started the church with great expectations from our mother church, from the whole denomination. It was a small denomination, but a lot of expectations, so 90. And from that point, from 90, it didn't grow for about a year and a half, not at all, okay? And uh, during that time, I got so depressed that I almost quit ministry because I, ministry was depressing me every day. And I could not take it anymore. And that's when God shifted me. And uh, that's when I decided I'm going to pursue the heart of God, intimacy with Jesus. And then uh, without me doing anything else, God, church began to grow, which is really, really weird. Okay? And, um, but anyway, that's, that's how it was. Um, I was driven to success. It was not about Christ at the time. It was about me. And, you know, after that whole incident, and, you know, that's when I got connected to Bob through uh, Pastor Q. And uh, Bob really helped our church grow. 
Okay? Not that he gave strategic things, but uh, he really was a prophetic voice that opened a lot of things for us. And uh, our church really, during the whole season we grew, we grew to about 500, three sites. Okay? Um, and then, about three and a half years ago, everything blew up. Okay? Um, I don't want to go into details right now. Another day. Okay? Maybe some of you know those stories. Okay? And uh, I was forced to retire, early retirement. Okay, and uh, it was really, really hard, the most difficult thing. <clears throat> That's not what I want to talk about either. Uh, so after I stepped down from the church, uh, I was wondering what I was supposed to do. And I was, this was the lowest point of my life right at that time. And, you know, I did not know what was going to happen with my life in every area, literally. And uh, I decided to join KCCC uh, because of a couple of reasons. And uh, KCCC, now they changed the name to Soon Movement, but it's a college ministry. And, uh, you know, my wife is from KCCC. And uh, when my, I, I got engaged to my wife, she pulled me into KCCC, a very strong woman. So I got pulled in. <laughs> so I became the associate pastor, associate staff for like 20 years from that point on. And, uh, you know, we supported cases in ministry, you know, I believed in it. So I decided, okay, you know, uh, you know, my wife was in California and uh, my boys were in New Jersey. So I decided, you know, I have to stay in New Jersey to take care of my sons. You know, we, our family was going through so much. So I, I decided to stay in New Jersey. And uh, um, one of the options that I had was to join KCC, non-paid position, just volunteer position full time. And I joined and... Um, when I joined, they asked me to uh, pioneer, ultimately, two campuses, two city campuses. These are city uh, colleges in New York are for really, really poor people. Okay? I, mean, it was, I mean, I've never seen that kind of poverty. I had one student leader who skipped a semester because he did not have $400. It was, it was just, I could not believe it. You know? That was sort of the city covers everything, government pays everything, but he still did not have $400. So anyway, it was that kind of school. So one of the, the first school that they asked me to pioneer was this school called City College. You never heard of it, right? City College? That school has more famous graduates from my, than from my alma mater. Henry Kissinger came out of that school. You would not believe, right? Of course, from there he went to Harvard, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> Colin Powell graduated from that school. I knew some luminaries. But anyway, uh, I went there, and uh, because it was literally pioneering work, there were like two students who came to one of the researchers and said, well, we, are, we, we like KCCC, so we decided to start a chapter there. So because that, we did not have anything, I literally went there every day and just evangelized. Literally, sneaking into the church school, because I did not have the ID, <laughs> and go to the cafeteria, because it's a city school, and there is not, you know, nobody, I mean, there's a small dorm, but not even like 2% of the school dorms. They all commute. So the only place kids really hang out is uh, the cafeteria, okay? So I would just roam around the cafeteria all day, <laughs> striking up conversations with total strangers. And uh, it was really hard, okay? And uh, more people reject you than accept you. More people do not, want to, do not want to hear what you have to say than want to hear. 
And once in a while, for whatever strange reason, they would want to hear that I'll share the gospel, which takes, you know, CCC uses this little yellow booklet called Four Scripture Laws. I don't know if you heard about it. To go through, they say, they lie. They teach you to lie. <laughs> would you have five minutes? I want to go through this booklet. It takes 20 minutes. <laughs> You go through 20 minutes, okay, and you ask them, you know, would you like to receive Christ, basically, and most people say no, okay? They're nice to let you talk to them, but they don't, so, so a whole day literally was talking to like seven or eight people. They would be a really good day if I get to have a conversation with seven to eight people. And at the end of that seven to eight Conversations, typical day, nobody received Christ. This happened day after day, and I had to do it for quite a while, for several weeks, until I collected some people who were like nominal Christians, and you, you somehow get them together, okay? Or sometimes some people are looking for something, so you get them together. But until that point, for several weeks, all I'm doing is literally, you know, traveling hour and a half to the school and talk to strangers all day. And you're, you get tired physically. Have you, talk, have you tried talking like four hours straight? <laughs> you know? And uh, emotionally, I am like wiped out. So by the end of the day, or even in the middle of the day, I'll be so discouraged. And I would literally sit at one of the cafeteria chairs, and I, I would literally wonder to myself, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I mean, I was preaching to hundreds of people every week. And what am I doing here with this little punk, you know, punks, college students who give me attitude and they don't listen to me. And at the end, but worst of it all, at the end of the day, what came of all my energy and effort? Nothing. Okay? I wanted to quit. So many times I just wanted to quit. And then when I was thinking this thought, this question rose up inside me. And the question said, who are you doing it for? And then I realized, if I were doing it for Jesus, I would not be that discouraged. Of course, you'd be, I should be discouraged for the right reason. But I knew that I was being discouraged for the wrong reason. <laughs> because it was about me. Still, it was about me. Unbelievable how that little ego refused to die. It is amazing. After all that you go through, it still sticks its head out. And it just doesn't go away. It is unbelievable how strong this little thing called ego is. And then I repented. And it was that moment, I believe, finally, this ego is still there. Okay? My little friend is still there. <laughs> but it was through that experience, I mean, God dealt with that ego I shared with you, you know, year, year, year after I, you know, two and a half years after I planted the church, when the church was not growing. And then I thought it was dealt with. And it was. S somewhat, but it was at that point 
that God really, I think re- something really began to break, and I really began to change. <clears throat> it is difficult for the ego to die. Even during that KCC days, it was not that just one day. It was months of that. Because you go through, you know, you go through that continually. What am I doing here? And several days later, I'm asking that question. I go, what am I doing here? You know? But God really uh, began to deal with that. Without the possibility of building a name for myself, I actually found myself pretty unmotivated which reveals my motivation was mainly about me. It was not about Jesus Christ. It was a long process. Even now, I find myself, you know, after all that I've gone through, and I went through a lot, even after all that I've gone through, I still sense this ego come up here and there. And when that happens, I really pray this way. I put my palm down. This is my symbolic act of Lord. I'm shaking myself off. I don't want this thing. I know that my emotion is so like ingrained in this groove that it just my brain just goes that way. But in my will, that's not what I want. I I just I just pour it all out for you. I really only want to do for you. Okay, that's what I pray. And honest truth is, my emotion is oftentimes not there. But that I cannot help. I'm a sinful man. <laughs> I mean, I cannot help. But at least I pray, Lord, that's not what I want. I really want to do it for you. Okay. And I don't want to have an alloy in my heart. I really want to do it for, for pure motivation just for you. Okay. And hopefully God will change me okay. more and more. <clears throat> in today's passage, we find that the ego of the disciples had not died. We see that, I mean, you know this story, right? Uh, I have to explain. I don't have to explain. You know the story, right? I mean, you know, the, you know, somebody was supposed to wash their feet, but nobody wanted to wash it because it was the lowest servant's job, and it's, everybody's looking around. Everybody has smelly food. It's, I mean, smelly feet. It's like, ah, this is disgusting, you know? I, I mean, like, my, you know, everybody's upset because their feet are all stinky. You know, donkey went the same road. I mean, everything went the same road, and they walked the same road, and it's just like very unpleasant. And Jesus takes the form of the lowest servant and washes their feet. But this story shows that even then, even with all the teachings of Jesus, their ego was still not cracked. They are still debating who is the greatest because the greater one does not serve the lower one in the secular society. So Jesus takes the greatest form of a servant and washes their feet. And he says, I am setting you an example because if you are a leader, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, my father is an elder. He's been an elder for a long time. He's a really good elder. My grandfather was a good elder. He, was, he died as a martyr in his 40s by the communists. It was not a huge church in North Korea, about 100 or so people. There were two elders. Uh, both of them died. Um, and, uh, you know, they sent the, 
you know, North Korea was coming down against Christians. I think that's what is happening in China. It is, I think it really is happening in China. So the elder sent the pastor to South for his safety. And a young seminary graduate came. And uh, these two elders, that pastor also died later. And uh, these two elders uh, kept the church going. And being an elder was a different thing back then. In the early church, being an elder was a different thing. It really meant you open your house, you pour your time and resources for the sake of the church. It's not like, I mean, I continue to bash Korean church, and uh, what can I say? That's the state of the Korean church. Okay, it's not all about ego. It's like, this is really smelly, Korean church. You know, it stinks. It literally stinks. Okay, it's all about ego and babies, bride people. It's crazy. It's so corrupt. Anyway, uh, so um, that was the, and, you know, and he was really serving the church all the time, and he, he owned an orchard. That was my grandfather's job, and literally the first food would go to the pastor because, you know, he's like sort of, I mean, I don't know if you're theologically correct, but he's the representative for God, right? So the first food goes to the pastor before anybody else, before the grandpa or anybody. This is the best thing to the pastor first. That's how it was. And uh, my father grew up until, I mean, you know, he fled to South Korea. South Korea. Uh, I mean, he was drafted in the North Korean army. It's a long, long story. I, I mean, I actually wrote it. If I publish it, please buy it, okay? I would like to make some money off of it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I literally wrote it just for our, uh, our next generation because I wanted them to inherit the spiritual heritage of our father, which is really... And nobody would know it. He was just a little country farmer back in North Korea. He's, he's not in the annals of the Korean pastor who died as a martyr or anything like that. Just, you know, just died. Okay. And uh, actually, the family went through a lot. They went through something that is close to, like, Nazis persecuting Jews, the A and stuff like that. that. Actually, that's what they did. They put on their back, like, traitor. So the whole town folks... You know, just ostracized them. They were like leaders of the town, but they were really persecuted. They could not go to school and all that. Uh, anyway, my father grew up watching that. And that's his understanding of elder. That's what it means to be an elder. You know, you, you protect the church. You serve the church. You serve your pastor. You serve your, you protect your pastor. That's what you do. So when he became an elder... Uh, that's what he did, and uh, you know he had a he he was a prodigal son for a long time. He really fell away, okay, lived a very worldly life for many years. But when he came back, you know he became an elder, and that's what he did, and that's what he does. One day, this was a brief time when he was attending between churches, you know, because churches split and all that, and uh, he was. He, for a brief period of time, he attended a large church. And uh, he did what he typically did, which is like whatever work is there to do, he just does it. Okay? He just looks around. Whatever is to be done, he does it. And this particular time, he, was, he, he went to the trash cans. He tied up all the trash, and he was taking them out to the trash bin outside. And then one of the elders stopped him and said, Elder Han, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, I'm taking her to the church. And he said, 
you are not behaving like an elder. Please don't do that. Now, my dad has temper. <laughs> he rebuked that man so badly right there. Church is becoming corrupt because of people like you. <laughs> he can just give it to him because I mean, he just doesn't care. You know, he, he nearly died a couple of times during the Korean War. So, you know, when you go through certain things, certain things you just don't care about. Okay? He just doesn't care. Okay? So he just really gave it to him. Who we, when we become leaders, what we become, we have to really, really understand. And thus far, we have talked about our relationship with God, right? And that is, we're broken. We always have to understand, Lord, I'm, I have nothing to prove. Un- until you're broken, you're not usable. Because God uses only broken servants. We have to understand, it is all by grace. It is because of grace I do this thing. Truth of the matter is that we will forget but we will have to remember repeatedly. And this morning we talked about our relationship with our superior officer, so to speak. In particular, with Pastor, Pastor Q, Pastor Mimi. Okay, and if you're a deacon, honor your elder, elders and so on and so forth. Again, I'm not trying to create a hierarchical organization here, but this is a biblical value. How do we do that? We work together, right? <coughs> Heaven is an upside-down kingdom. This is something that people do not understand, however. Okay? The greatest are the servants, right? But it is not that when your servant's here, God says, good job, now you can come up here and just have authority. That's not how it is. God doesn't change. His dynamic doesn't change. Heaven is such a place. The servants are the greatest. It's not just a process that you go through so that you can get there and you don't serve anymore. You are just great leaders. You just have authority and power. It's not like that. God is always a servant. Am I right? Right? God is always a servant. The greatest are the servants. I don't know who will take the highest place. I do not know. But one thing I know, these are going to be servants. These are going to be really humble people who, whose inner be- life is so transformed, this is who you are. We become lower and lower, and lower and lower we get on earth, the higher higher we, we rise in heaven, because in heaven, things are upside down or right side up. Servants, okay? The people who have the greatest influence, greatest authority, are the people who serve most people because they are at the bottom. That's how it is. That is the nature of heaven. It is not just a process. We pay the due here. We really serve here so that in heaven, it's like Muslim paradise, Islam paradise, you know. You know, I just enjoy. That's just not the heavenly dynamic. So, I want to talk about three areas of examination. It's going to be a very, very short message. Number one, our relationship with ministry. What kind of ministry are you looking for? 
Are you attracted to ministries that everybody else is attracted to? When we were doing youth group, everybody wanted to be in the worship team. <laughs> right? So immature. <laughs> I, you know, they get the glory. Okay. Pastor Q, whose specialty is demon slaying, he said when he went to Korea, I mean, he sees demons. Do you still? Sometimes? Okay. He said when he went to these mega churches, he was traveling in these mega churches, ministering there. He said he saw the most demonized people from the worship teams. Makes sense, right? If you're up there for the wrong motivation, of course. Why not? Go for that one because when that one falls, so many people will be affected. Right? Can you uh, imagine that picture? Demonized people leading worship. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but that was the state of the affair. There. So what? What? Now, when I was at this, uh, 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 at this current church, uh, one day, uh, so we have two services, and you know, because I'm in charge of the new, newcomers, I made a little, little tent outside. In California, you can do that. That's the wonderful thing about California. I like it's outdoor all the time, right? I pitched this tent, and we set up some tables and some refreshment. Uh, and then when people come, we want them to stop by there so that we can connect them to small groups immediately right there. I'm sitting there, and so this is between services, and I had already attended the first service. The second service, I'm just sitting out there, and uh, the elders come for both services. They're there for the whole day. I'm there, like, I'm this, like, so Korean, I'm telling you. Like, they are at church the whole day on Sunday. So, uh, you know, a bunch of us are just sitting around there, like five, six of us, and then somebody came and said, somebody vomited in the parking lot. Now, if it's my old me, I would be the first one to go pick up the shovel or whatever to clean it. But I was just curious who would respond to this. So I just sat there. I don't know. Maybe they thought bad pastor, but I was just curious. <laughs> I just sat there. I, I'm just like, I'm just, I just want to know who, who will get up. Will it be the elders or will it, will it be like other people who are not elders? And actually, one of the elders got up. He's funny. He calls himself fake elder. <laughs> we have five elders. Four are very, very serious. One is kind of goofy. Okay. <laughs> he's, really, he's really funny. Okay. He wears weird clothes. I mean, he's like in his 50s, but he wears like this army camouflage type of thing sometimes to church. And one time he came with this shirt that looked like he just came from painting paint dots everywhere. But that was a fashion, right? He's really into fashion. And he, so he, he looks at me one day and said, do you know what they call me? So what, they call, what did they call you? They call me fake elder. He's saying that to me, which was really refreshing that he himself is saying, do you know what people call me? They call me fake elder because I'm not serious enough. And I mean, he's a little bit goofy, okay? Uh, but anyway, he got up. And grabbed another guy, went to the chili room and got whatever, you know, uh, 
shovel and different things. And he went out and cleaned that bunk. It's like, wow, that's good. That's really good. The elders at this church work really hard. And I feel, I feel sorry for them. <laughs> I, I really do. <laughs> I really literally feel sorry for them because they have so much work. Okay, they have a full-time job. You know, and some of them have young families. And then, I mean, the pastor does not even, I told you it's a very Korean church. He doesn't even tell you what he wants them to do. He just expects them. Okay? You have to go figure out what you're supposed to do and do it. <laughs> anyway, and there was, there was, there was, a, there was a, I mean, I was really uh, pleased. I was like, wow, I like it. I really, I really like it. So that's one ministry area. What do you look for? Okay. Do you look for those positions of glory? Okay. And do you look for positions of dishonor? And then I, I tell you, sometimes when people ask me to do certain things, I don't want to do it. I don't. Okay. So this is related to the next point, but so I've been counseling one guy. I'm not going to tell you who and whatever, or what kind of relationship, who has uh, some sexual addiction. So somebody asked me to, uh, he was going through some process okay, from a Christian organization. So he was on probation, and he, they asked me to <coughs> watch over him. And uh, number one, I don't like that kind of work. Because I'm not psychological, I am. I'm, I'm not a like. A, I'm pastoral in a sense of. I can do spot check, but this ongoing like you know psychological pastoral care. I really do not like it. But that was a job that was given to me, asked me to do. So okay, I'll do it. Okay. The period ended. So I said, okay, I'm finally done. Okay, but the guy continues to relapse. So whenever he relapses, they call me. And whenever I get the phone call, I say, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hate this. I really, really hate this job. Okay? It's like, I really, so unpleasant. Why do I have to do this? I, I really hate this work. And then um, right here, last night, right before I began to preach, they call me. So he relapsed again. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to do this again. And then I have to examine my heart. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, wh what are you doing it for? Are you doing it for Jesus or are you doing it for yourself? So you want to preach up there, but you don't want to do this thing? So I very begrudgingly, I call them <laughs> because they left me a message. And, you know, I, I had to talk to them for like 15 minutes. Which, I mean, it, and I'm really trying not to give an attitude as I'm talking to this person. <laughs> anyway, the point is, <laughs> in your relationship with ministry, what kind of ministry do you want to do? All right? Only the ones that receives glory, notice from God, notice from people, so that you don't get any reward in heaven? Or do you want to... Go for those things that receive the greatest reward in heaven. 
That's the bottom line, right? <laughs> no one. That's the first. Your relationship with ministry. Number two, your relationship with those who you lead, your congregation. You're leading them. Okay? If, it is a, if it is done right, it is not only the pastors that are leading them. You are leading them. Are you with me? When you become a deacon or elder, you are receiving impartation of authority that God has given to the pastor. And when he is ordaining you, you are receiving that impartation. So you are sharing in his ministry. So you are not just you know, doing this work. You know, you're not just doing parking. And those are all specific expressions. But what you're doing is ultimately taking care of the people. That's our job. Do not forget that. Okay? You are in people care business. People care ministry. That's your role. And sometimes it's parking. And when you understand that, you know what you're doing. It's not about just directing traffic. It is a smile. Okay? It is kindness. Going the extra, extra mile. You're caring for them. And whatever you're doing. Okay? And you know, you're trained. And even in the parking lot, if something happens, you may pray for them in the parking lot. Who knows? It's, it's a very dynamic, vibrant thing. And we have to understand that. So, your people. <clears throat> so, number one, people who cause problems. It's, it's okay when, with good people, it's easy. And this is one of the things I regret. Okay? And, you know, during this past three years, my philosophy of ministry has completely changed. I had a church where Ivy League grad literally was diamond a dozen. With a little bit of exaggeration, every 10th person was an Ivy League grad. Okay? And when we started the campus in Manhattan, it was worse. We had so many Harvard, MIT grads. So many. And when you work with those people, things are different. They just think they're just faster in every way. You say one thing, they get it. Okay? And if, if, if they get your vision and they're on the same page, they just, they not only run, they just fly. They are so capable. And I was just so used to working with these people. And you know, this all it becomes, it all became about building the church, you know, just grow the church. And I mean, God was doing good things. But I went through such a painful period my philosophy changed. And we always had hurting people, and we did take care of them. But percentage-wise, it was not that many. Of course, everybody goes go through pain in different seasons. But a pain, a person who has full-time job, decent job, and everything, fairly okay, going through, and another person who was down and out going through is utterly different. Utterly different. And when I came out, and after I went through what I went through, I said, wow. I really missed the boat. And one of the reasons I'm thankful for what I went through is if I hadn't gone through, gone through it, I would have gone the same track until I retire and I, I die. So, wow. I, I could have really missed the boat, <laughs> you know, really mis misunderstand what ministry is really all about. Okay, so my eyes are, when I go to places and my eyes are looking for different things, who are the hurting people? And the trouble is, you know, I have to be very careful because I haven't started the church. 
Yeah, what happens? Are you going to really be able to do it? I don't know. Okay, Because messed up people bring a lot of mess. <laughs> and I, I, I am realistic. Okay, I am realistic. Um, I thought about doing a church in the poor neighborhood. And I decided, Benny, be a real man. You can't handle it. <laughs> I don't think I can handle it. What do I know about the really people in the ghettos? And I will not make it. Most likely, I'll not make it. So, you know, what I want to do is train people who are more or less okay, okay, and get them healed up, so that and so that I can unleash this army, so that they can, okay, because there has to be a balance. You know, there has to be a balance of. There has, there has to be enough healthy people to take care of sick people. If everybody's sick, you cannot do it. You just get burnt out. Okay, and I don't have that kind of capacity. So that's what I want to do. But talk about people with problems. Um, what do you do with them in the church? When I was a youth pastor, the first church I served right after graduation very wealthy church. It was a weird church. So many kids went to Harvard and so forth. It was sick. Okay, it was just like that, it was that kind of church, you know, high-driven, high, you know, elitist, uh, Korean church. And um, among among my youth, I had just started. There were some kids who were really punks. You know, they have cap on. Nowadays it's all normal. Back, back then it was not. Okay. Probably, who knows what they're doing, okay? And uh, like a month after I started, this one elder came and said, Pastor, can you like get rid of those kids? Because he didn't want his kids to mingle with those kids. And uh, if I had the courage of my father, I would have rebuked the guy right there. But I did not. So I did not rebuke him, but I thought, what a crazy guy. Okay. And, you know, what kind of elder is this? Okay. So what do you do? But I'm telling you, when they come, they come with great mess, people with problems. Do you know that in America, I'm speaking before a psychologist, so I have to be careful. <clears throat> From what I read and heard, <laughs> about one-fifth of American population have mental issues. Am I right? One-fifth. Okay. When I heard that, I just could not believe it. Because I thought mental illness is very rare. And I thought maybe like 2%, if you really stretch it, maybe 5%. That's for those of you who cannot do math well. That's one out of five. (laughs) (laughs) And each of them bring a lot of problems. 
We have one guy right now that we are dealing with, alcoholic. Man. <laughs> because of one guy. So many people are working so hard because of one guy. Like, like at least like seven or eight people. Besides his wife. He's suicidal. He drives, he blacks out in his driving, he may end up killing somebody. It is so stressful for everyone involved. But what can you do? Right? Is it pleasant? Not pleasant at all. But that's a relationship with the congregation. And then there are people who fall into immorality. And churches, oftentimes, when somebody falls in immorality, they just cut them off. You know, secular organizations do not do that. But churches just cut them off, so many of them. Okay. But what is your relationship with your congregation? And it is all, this is the work of washing their feet. What is washing? You are not going to wash anybody's feet, literally. If you're talking about literally, right? You're not. Of course, we do that. I know the pastor Q loves washing feet, okay? I know he's really into this. Does he still do that at the end of the year? He, oh, my God. I should have been here. <laughs> okay? He loves this. But that's not what it means, right? That's a symbolic act. Okay? Back then, it was a real act. Not now. Okay? You guys all take a shower every day. And, okay? That's not what it is. But it is those, the messy things in people's lives. And it's... it's it's not easy, but you are joining in the work of Jesus Christ, washing people's feet. So when somebody's, I mean, that's when testimonies come out. Right? That is the beauty of the unauthentic church. When somebody's life was so messed up, and through the love and ministry of the people, their lives get healed up, right? And they become okay. That is amazing. Right? That is what we're supposed to do. And that is the work of ministry. That's the work of leadership. And when leaders do that, it becomes a culture. And you want to have that culture established. It's just, okay, of, of course that's what we do. Okay? That's what we do. And with this guy that I'm talking about at our church in California, that is what has happened. It's not only the pastors. His small group leader is on it. And he arranged it with his small group. And the small group is not that large, like six, seven guys. He said, somebody's checking upon him each day. And they arrange it so that he will not feel like they are like watching. <laughs> Sneakily. Okay, he called him out, you know, check upon the guy. Anyway. Number three. So one was relationship with ministry. Two is relationship with the people you lead, the congregation. And number three is relationship with each other. And that is important. Now, if you look at the story, there was a relationship that was going on between them, right? They're all looking at each other. Who's going to watch it? You! You are the worst of us. You watch your <laughs> I don't know, okay? So this relationship is going on. Okay? And uh, are we competing against each other? Or do we criticize each other? Or do we wash each other's dirt? 
shocking thing for me here is that Jesus washed Judas' feet. That I don't even understand. Okay? But do we wash each other's feet? When somebody's in trouble, do you cover for them? Or do you rat on that guy? On the way here, I was in the airplane. And uh, the stewardess was really giving me an attitude. I don't know why. When I got on, I had to go to the bathroom, so I walked toward the back of the airplane, and she's blocking the way. You know, people moving, and I'm kind of like, so we were seeing each other, and there was an empty row, and she orders me, go in there. So without thinking, I go in there, and she passes me by. I thought, what the? <laughs> right? It's like, what is this? She's a tortoise. She's ordering the customer. She should have gone in there <laughs> so that I can walk through. Right? But she does that. And later on, they're serving drinks. She comes by. So I'm fasting, right? So I order a juice. She doesn't give it to me. She just walks right through. And I thought for a moment, well, maybe they did not have it. So maybe she went back there to get it or something, you know, as you finish the line. I wait for like a few minutes. She doesn't come back. So I push the, uh, you know, <laughs> service thing because I'm going to get my juice. And another guy comes from the front. So I ask him, I ask the lady for juice, but she didn't give it to me. I guess she does not have it. And he says, of course they do. So he goes out and gets it. So it's twice. So later on, I get thirsty because I'm fasting. So I push the thing again. <laughs> okay? I'm not trying to irk her. Okay? I, you know, I just, I just, you know, I just push the thing. So she comes up and says, can I get some water without ice? Okay? And she doesn't come for a long time. And finally she comes and instead of saying, oh, here's your water or whatever, and some people even will say, here's your water, sir. That should be the common courtesy. She literally goes like this. Oh, here's your water. <laughs> I'm so upset. Okay? The old Danny Han. <laughs> What I found out who this woman is. Okay? Found out her name and write a letter. Okay, to the airline. Okay, because I'm you, you know, you, you, your service is terrible. Then I thought, I'm the new Danny Han. <laughs> okay. I said, ah, oh, what the I don't know. Maybe she's a terrible husband. You know, maybe she worked for some Asian guy and he was <laughs> terrible. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she's just, you know, cranky person, but you know, I will not do it. You know, maybe somebody will get her in trouble. She will eventually get in trouble, probably. 
if you continue to do it that way. But I'm not going to do it. Okay. Why? Because if she finds out I'm a Christian, I mean, there, this chance happening is like not there at all. But hypothetically, if she finds out I'm a Christian and she knows that she offended me several times, okay, if she ever finds out I'm a Christian, then the what I chose to do will make a world of difference. Wow, the guy's a Christian and he got me in trouble. Versus, wow, I was really rude to the man and he just ignored me. He did not take offense. I'm covering for her. Right? So among you as well, right? Among you, when somebody does something, what do you do? You have to cover for each other. Which is sometimes which sometimes means ignoring the offense. And sometimes confronting that person. Right? It's not just ignoring. Sometimes you have to confront because that person is walking around with something on his face. Everybody sees it except for him. Somebody has to go and tell him. And uh, I don't know how it is here. In the West Coast, it will not happen because they're all nice. Okay. <laughs> but they never say anything that you don't want to hear. <laughs> Everybody's nice. But <laughs> maybe I'm you know, bashing the West Coast too much. But it is true. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we should all have accountability partners because we all are weak. I have an accountability partner. I get together with this guy every week. Okay. So that's it. The final point is whatever we do, you are ultimately doing because you love Jesus and for your heavenly reward. Okay. Go for the heavenly reward. Your reward will not be here. But heaven is definitely coming. It is absolutely coming. And when that day comes, it will be too late. Hey, I'm done. Let's pray. <laughs> They're happy. <clears throat> mm. Let's just get into prayer. Uh, why don't we do it this way? I'm not going to pray too long for you guys, but why don't, why don't, why don't Pastor Q and I and Pastor Mimi uh, just go around and just pray for people briefly? Okay, it's, I don't think it's going to be long. Okay, but just, just, just pray. Okay, uh, let's pray. Lord, we just come before you. We are all people on the way. We are all on the way to becoming more Christ-like. We are all on the way uh, to be a better servant for you. And. Um, we will succeed some, we will fail some. We'll go two steps forward, one step back, and sometimes three steps back. But we will continue to move forward. We will continue to repent and resolve once again and continue to this journey to 
build your church to serve you. We pray that hope will be known for its love for one another. This will be a church full of love, Lord God. Love will define this church. Whoever comes to this church will be loved. And they will love each other. Lord God, and they will love the pastor. And the pastor will love the people. will be known for its love, Lord God. The healing love. That love for which everybody is thirsty. So we ask you that you wash away our ego more and more from us so that we may become better and better servants. Even right now, even today, we ask you that your, the power of the Holy Spirit will come to transform.